Coronavirus is now very much a South Florida story. Two Broward cases, another two deaths in other counties, and too much still to learn. The vice president swung through South Florida yesterday telling cruise line executives, step up your game. Governor Ron DeSantis raised the state emergency management to a level two as local leaders work to ease fears, but sometimes sow confusion by holding back vital information. Florida senators were among them here. Senator Rick Scott joined us right here at the table to talk about it. Senator, great to have you here and appreciate you coming in. Oh, I want to start off by the message that the public is hearing about coronavirus. Everything is fluid. Everything is changing. Uh, we listen to the president sort of downplaying a lot up until this weekend. We listen to the vice president, the point man on coronavirus, taking a more measured uh, tone with the country. From where you sit on the scale of basic attention to fear and loathing, where are you on that spectrum? Where should the public be? Well, I spent eight years as governor, and my attitude about the four hurricanes we had in Zika was, you always prepare for the worst, you hope for the best, you keep everybody as informed as you can, and let people make their own decision. So I think that at all levels, local, federal, and state, that we need to get more information out. We need to know, um, so as you know, we had a death in uh, Lee County, close to where I live. Well, we didn't even know there was a person with coronavirus there. Right, yeah. What issues did that person, what type of issues did that person have with their health? We should know that. So if somebody, somebody says, well, I have that same issue, maybe I shouldn't travel. We should know what flight they were on. So if your family was on that flight, wouldn't you want them to go get tested before they, you know, were, so I think there's a lot more information that at all levels, we ought to be getting out publicly. I think, I mean, at, you know, at the, um, at the federal level, um, I've been talking to the FDA. Um, we need to know, what shortage of drugs we're going to have so people can be informed? What consumer products, things like let, that. Let me go back, though, because we, we are all on board with you. Um, we find out on uh, Friday night that there are two cases in Broward. We know from the governor's office that it is a 65-year-old man, a 75-year-old man. That's all we know. And why don't we, just as you mentioned the death not only in Lee County, but a death in Santa Rosa County, which were both international travel cases that we know. From where? From where, we don't we know. We don't know. Mm -hmm. We should know that. So why don't we, I mean, you, as, a, as a sitting Florida senator, why can't we know more about, without violating their privacy, these men in Broward, where have they been? Are they related? Do they live together? What city do they live in? Where have they been? Where do they work? Why can't we know that? Why don't we know that? You should know that. You should, you, the public has a right to know. Do you know? Uh, on, the, on those cases? Yeah. I mean, I get, I get briefings. Um, I, get the, I get briefings at the federal level. We were, we were at a briefing uh, this week with the lieutenant governor. Um, and we, look, we have good health departments uh, around the state. I, I dealt with pretty much all of them when I was governor. Um, but at all levels, um, we, gotta get, we gotta get all those, I mean, Glennon, those, we, you have to know, you, you are making a decision. We're arguing the same point here. <laughs> yeah, you, you're making a decision where you go tomorrow. Yes, so mm -hmm. when you get briefings, were you asked not to say anything? Are you comfortable with the information you got in the briefings? So I've gotten a lot of briefings. I got a classified briefing one day. There was nothing classified about this. Okay, there's, I mean, it's information that every, we all ought to know. And so I, but I think, I think it's every, every part of government's got to say to themselves, okay, the public's got a right to know here. We, we don't know how bad this is going to be. We can all hope 
it goes away maybe, you know, it goes away quickly, but, but we don't know. So I want my family to be safe. You want your family to be safe. I want every citizen's family to be safe. Get the information out there. Let people make their own decisions. Okay, so uh, let's talk about the, um, you voted for and the president signed $83 billion in, in, a, in a budget specifically for coronavirus uh, supplies, protection. Give us a sense of where is that money going? Florida's portion at the moment is what, 27 yeah, million? So it's where, a, where does the money sure. go? It's a little over $8 billion. And what it is, is it'll go to how do we make sure people get a test? How do we make sure that we get the vaccine out as quickly as possible? What other, you know, what other issues does um, either the CDC or HHS have? So it, it's, um, uh, so it, it's, as you said, it's fluid. Uh, so it gives a lot of authority to the federal agencies to figure out where, where to spend the money. Now, I believe everybody ought to have the right to get a coronavirus test if they want to get one. If you have a concern, you ought to have the right to get one. But we, and in Florida, we don't have an, enough, according to state officials yet. Um, I, I know by the end of the week, I heard federally there were supposed to be a million tests available, and I don't think at week's end that there were. So where in the pipeline is that? What can we So the way, the way the FDA explained it to me, I don't know, it was, I think it was Wednesday, um, Wednesday or Thursday morning, was that on top of what, um, what the FDA is doing, They've been working for, uh, sounds like about a week, with the uh, private companies like LabCorp and Quest and people like that, the publicly traded companies, the big ones. And they're gonna, they're, they've already said they're going to get test out. Uh, they, the FDA had to waive uh, a regulation to allow that to happen quicker, uh, but it's happening. And so very quickly, I think all those companies are going to have their own tests out. So when you go to your you know, private doctor, you're going to be able to say, can you send that to LabCorp or Quest or whatever you want to do? It won't just be through uh, the Florida, Florida Department of Health, uh, the so, county. So again, this, this almost comes full circle in that some of the, if there were people who knew that they had come in contact with these men in Broward, they could then go to their primary right. doctor or an urgent care or the CDC and get tested, but the, the protocol is not clear to the public about that. It's certainly not clear to those of us who disseminate information right. to the public. Well, my, my belief has been that, that if you want to get a coronavirus test, you ought to be able to get one. I, I believe that you know, if you think, well, I might have been around somebody that had just got back from, uh, from Italy, as an example, uh, where they have an outbreak, you ought to be able to go do that. So my understanding is, uh, according, to the, uh, according to the FDA, is these companies, uh, companies like LabCorp and Quest are going to have theirs out quickly. I think LabCorp, I think uh, they announced on Friday theirs is done. And so you're going to, and now it has to get out to the, uh, to uh, their uh, centers. And, the, and I think they, my understanding is it's not going to be difficult to tell the doctors exactly or whoever's going to do it, exactly how to do the swabs and things like that. I want to turn to uh, events. I mean, March, April is event season in Florida, specifically South Florida. As you know, the city of Miami canceled Ultra and another event on Calle Ocho. Um, their city of Hialeah canceled some. We were at the fair that opens this week, not canceled, but amped up hygiene. And um, the fair's president told us this is a CDC, we're abiding by the CDC regulations, nothing needs to be canceled. Although Miami cited CDC regulations when they did cancel, uh, Disney World is open. There is a whole economic conversation to be had. But what is the message about public gatherings and whether to close or not to close and this really mixed message that, that people are, are seeing now? I think all those decisions should be made locally. I think 
that whether you're thinking about staying at a hotel, whether you're thinking about going on a cruise, whether you're thinking about going to an event, whoever is organizing that, I'd put out the information so to make you comfortable. Say, These, this is what we're doing with regard to hygiene. We're, you know, we're, we're doing, the, this is our cleaning schedule. This is the types of things we expect people to do. These are, you know, this is how we're gonna test to see if anybody has any issue. And, and if you do, this is what we're gonna do if it happens. So I think, I think then, then, then it'll be easier for people to make a decision whether they want to attend or not. And if people decide, you know, I'm not gonna attend these things, then it'll, make, it'll, it'll be easier to say, look, we shouldn't be having them. So you, you advocate keeping everything open and leaving the locals and businesses in a more personal decision, but then what do you say to the person who is deciding whether or not to attend? I mean, is that a personal decision in Absolutely. that I, I am a young, healthy person, I'm going to risk it and something like that? Well, I think if you remember, if you remember what we did with um, when I was governor with Zika, we put out where the local transmission was and then it did a couple of things. Everybody could decide, do I want to go there, all right? And two, the, the businesses that are there said, okay, this is what we're going to do to tell people why it's safe. So I think we ought to be doing the same thing here. I think it's incumbent upon a, a fair, incumbent upon a business to say, this is what we're doing to keep you safe. And and by the way, if they if they don't think, if people, if you say, I don't think I'm going to be safe, you're not going to go, and they're going to have to make a change. So that comes down to, again, the level of information that people are getting. Is there something that you can do, maybe your counterparts, Senator Rubio, maybe Congress can do, to put out some sort of path of information to make the state health departments, uh, local county health departments, mandate inform an information pipeline? Because from where we sit, information is the best tool oh, to keep people yeah, safe you'll make, and healthy. You'll make a good decision. I mean, if, if everybody gets information, I think they'll make better so decisions. So how do we do that? Well, what I've been doing is I've been talking to the CDC about, about having a 24-7 hotline. And here's a, here, I did this with Zika when I was governor, and here's the reason why you do it. Is that one, there's one number you can call. All right, right now, CDC has, has a hotline. It's, it's 800-CDC-INFO. And we have that on our website yep. as well. But yeah. there ought to be one just for this. And then what happens is if, CDD, if CDC gets called about something a lot, then they say, oh, boy, we better get something out about this. Well, you just, you just made a clarion call to our audience. <laughs> Senator Rick Scott, great to have you in. Appreciate your time. Nice to be here. Since the first appearance of a new coronavirus from China about two months ago, global spread of the disease and now local cases have sent a jittery public looking for answers. So we turn now to the scientists for those answers. And we have some good ones with us this morning. Dr. Eileen Marty is a professor of infectious diseases at Florida International University. She's a new U.S. Navy vet, worked with the World Health Organization, most recently in the fight against Ebola. Dr. Jose Castro is a physician and infectious disease specialist at the University of Miami Medical School. His teaching and research focus on, among other things, infection control. Good morning. Great to have you come so in. So great Thank to you. have you. Good morning. We should do the uh, elbow bump. Yeah, well, let's, let's <laughs> well, truth, all do that. Truth be told, we've already hugged and kissed other people today. So, you know, that, that's an actually a great place to start. How concerned, generally speaking, in this place and time should people be about living and doing things like that? That's a complex question because it does have to do with who you're hugging and kissing, right, and how old they are and the same things that what are their risk factors and what are your risk factors for having come in contact with this particular virus before you do your hugging and kissing. 
So the better you know the person, you live with the person, for example, go ahead and hug and kiss, mm -hmm. right? And then take it from there. Uh, Dr. Castro, let me ask you, I feel in everyday life over the last week or so, an increasing level of anxiety in our community among people I deal with, people I work with. Um, I think we're all taking, you know, doing fist bumps and washing our hands a lot. How, how concerned, how much anxiety, how much uh, worry should we have these days? Um, I think uh, this is a new disease and, you know, the anxiety is understandable. It's transmissible between humans um, and it's spreading, as we know, in different parts of the world. Yeah. <clears throat> However, uh, the lethality, how many people die when they catch the infection, is um, probably around, you know, around 1% or less. Um, okay, can I just interrupt you for a moment to yes. say what the... What we're hearing is 3%, which, which is... Yeah, there's a lot of a lot controversy more. because the actual number of people infected is unknown. Ah. So at the end, we see most people who are sick and get into the hospital. Um, maybe um, one uh, example we can take where it was kind of experiment, natural experiment, was one of these cruises where everyone was tested. And what we know from that cruise is the mortality was relatively, it was less than that number. So probably less than 1%. That, you know, is, is very low, but when you talk about population, it still is high. You know, um, that, that's a really interesting characterization because right now off, off the coast of South Florida, off Port Everglades, there's a cruise ship. Uh, two of the crew members need to be tested because they came off the ship that's off San Diego. Uh, I don't want anyone to think that there's a cruise ship full of people that might be infected or, or maybe because to your point we just don't know. But Dr. Marty, there are uh, now in South Florida two two cases, presumptive cases in Broward County, but is it fair to think that there are very many more cases of people who just don't mm -hmm. know it yet? Well, that's why we need to do surveillance. We need to get a real handle on the data. We need to get that numerator and denominator so that we actually understand what the risk factors are. It was done in China, and because they were, it's, a, it's the type of government w that will test you whether you want to or not. <laughs> and so, and so e for every single case that they found, they tested every single family member, and they tested not just every single family member, but every single close contact of that case. Can you go and, and what you, you were explaining to us earlier, and I would love for our audience to hear what surveillance actually means taking a sort of poll of sorts in a very scientific way of testing. Can, can you go into a little bit of that detail so people understand that? Well, you've already, you've, you've already done it perfectly. It is basically polling different populations to get a real sense of what's going on, to, to, get, to get an understanding of this entire outbreak. Now, unfortunately, the data from China does indicate a higher than 1% mm -hmm. uh, fatality rate, and they identified asymptomatic cases doing this type of intense testing of so many people. Uh, but most of those asymptomatic patients that were tested and were asymptomatic at the time that they were positive eventually showed symptoms. Well, I want to talk about more surveillance, but Dr. Castro, let me just ask you, if somebody is watching this who has a fever of 100 or so, uh, has a dry cough 
uh, has an underlying health condition, maybe has uh, diabetes or lupus or something, and they are wondering whether they should be tested, what should they do? Yes, um, so we have to understand, and probably uh, the public has to, to you know, learn what we're learning. This disease has a spectrum of presentations. Uh, we're learning that overwhelming majority, you know, about probably 80%, will have a mild disease. Mm -hmm. Mild disease that would not require to be admitted to the hospital. Yeah. So probably, you know, just talking to your doctor over the phone, just, you know, regular. Staying home, treating staying yourself over-the-counter meds kind of thing? Yes. Well, well let, let's be very, very clear, right? I mean, he's correct. Technically, 80% of, of people do not require hospitalization. But in that 80% is, just as you said, a range. And uh, a little over half of that range is a walking pneumonia. Mm -hmm. and people will feel lousy and they will need to be and one of the things that Dr. Castro and I had the pleasure of talking about ahead of time is the value of what we call telemedicine so it's not we, we don't have to just do a phone call we can actually see the patient interact with the patient almost as if they were in mm -hmm. our office without any risk of contagion um, and 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 also be clear that if a person progresses from that mild or moderate state Mm -hmm. to a more serious state. We have to have protocols in place so that we can then uh, bring them into a facility and get them the additional care that they might need. So everybody who has, it's, it's flu season. I mean, people yes. are sick and yes. not necessarily having anything to do with coronavirus. So it, <clears throat> is what you're saying to be heard, I'm not feeling so well, I'm staying home, I'm not gonna freak out, you know, if you are a normal healthy person. Mm -hmm. And I may call my doctor, to see where this goes, not jumping in and saying, oh my gosh, I better get a test. Is, is that fair to say? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, so, uh, as I said, you know, most of the people have a mild disease. Some less percentage will have a more severe disease with higher fever. Those are the ones who probably have a pneumonia. And some of them will eventually have a deadly disease. Certainly that group are the ones who are required to be in the hospital with additional measures, some other therapies. Yeah. Um, and it's not a random, this, you know, uh, uh, who's going to be so sick. As we're learning, there are certain <coughs> factors uh, that will make people who carry those factors to be in this group that can be very sick. As you know, we're seeing. As uh, we're seeing. Yes. And that's, you know, age, as you age, your mm -hmm. chances to become. So 70 and above, you'd begin to get much higher risk and likelihood of mortality. I mean, I see 70 to 80, I think I saw the figure was like a 15% mortality rate for a you know fatal case of yes. coronavirus. The Lancet study had it at 14.8% over the age of 80. The WHO study with Bruce Alward had it at over eight, people who are over 80 having a 21.9% oh. chance of mortality. Uh, Dr. Marty, explain to us about the algorithm uh, that you want to sort of establish and what is the point here? Get good, hard, empirical data to help political and governmental leaders make decisions about how to address this? 
Right. So um, this is being spearheaded by uh, Dr. Barbaricci. He's in uh, he's in Geneva. Actually, right now he's on his way to Monaco, and he wants to set together a, a series of task forces throughout the world, and together we'll we'll answer to him and create a series of algorithms that any body who's holding any level of a mass gathering can go through a series of tools to make it a rational and reasonable decision as to whether or not a particular mass gathering is or is not at risk from COVID. Yeah, now it's anecdotal, but I mean, we heard, and I think Glenna reported this week, that the city of Miami said, well, we talked to the CDC, they said any gathering of 25,000 or more, you ought to reconsider whether you have it, and that ostensibly was one reason why the ultra music festival was called off. Well, I think what that's a little bit that's not enough data, right? Mm -hmm. The number of people is not enough to to be a kickoff in any particular place. You have to take the numbers, the places where those people are coming from, the right. situation in those places and the and the area and various different factors of the community into consideration. And those are part of what will fit into the algorithm so that then decision makers can do appropriate and reasonable planning. That obviously. has been very confusing to a lot of people yeah. this week. Dr. Castro, one of the, along the same lines, information coming out of the people who now in Florida are infected and even who have passed from this um, has been very basic. We know gender, we know county, we know age. But people are, are craving detail for their own benefit, for their own decisions. Where in Broward were these people? Might I have been with them? What should mm -hmm. I do? What prevents, uh, under the guise of uh, privacy law, is what the health officials are saying that we can't release anymore. How, how far does HIPAA, the federal privacy law dealing with medical issues, how far does that go? And what can we know to allow us to make better decisions about these cases? Yeah, well, uh, the information that we have from Florida with the few uh, cases that we know is probably anecdotal. And just it's really important to know the local epidemiology, but still we don't have the tools. And the, by the tools uh, means what Dr. Marley said about doing screening in the population. Uh, m my question was, why can't we know more about these Broward cases, about these people? Where have they been? Where do they live generally? What, where, what stores had they visited and might I have been there? Yeah. Why can't we know that? Specifically that, typically the health department will do an investigation. Typically they do case tracing. They get into you know, the, the, what they call index case and they collect information, you know, who has been in contact with them. Yeah. Uh, and they, do, they should be doing testing to see the well, people around. They haven't them. been very forthcoming, I have to say. Before we run out of time, I just hear two great physicians. I want to ask you to give our audience, give us, some really good, solid information. You had said during a break that you're kind of sick of this advice. You know, wash your hands for 20 seconds, sing the birthday song, and that's it. I mean, you, you're saying wash your hands longer than 20 seconds? We've always said it's a 40 to 60 second hand wash. We've always insisted that you've got to clean under your fingernails by rubbing your, your fingers like this and paying attention to each mm -hmm. and every digit. That takes time. Each and every digit and the wrist and then, of course, lathering. And once you do that, you don't have to bother counting because it's going to be 40 to 60 right. seconds and you're going to do a better job. I'm going to look forward to the tutorial on YouTube that you are going to make <laughs> about how exactly to wash hands.
Well, don't forget that a lot of that hand washing comes with drying of the hands, so let's remember to moisturize if we're doing all this hand washing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we actually found that out firsthand. All right, and no touching your face, yeah. your eyes, your nose, your mouth, uh, and uh, hand sanitizer? Um, yes, not touching is, um, is very important, but it's not easily done, and sometimes we just do it without being conscious. So yes. really emphasis in the hand washing very often. And if anything good will have left this uh, outbreak will be that message. We have to keep washing our hands throughout the day. And surfaces. Yes. We have to keep our surfaces as clean as possible. So that and what we touch and isn't that sense. big a deal. <laughs> yes, common, common sense. sense and don't panic. That's yes, right. absolutely. All right. So Dr. great to Marty, have you here. Thank Dr. you Castro, so much. Great to have you come in. Thanks for having us. Goodness, it's been <laughs> another roller coaster ride in the news this week between what, Super Tuesday and obviously coronavirus. So let us take a much closer look now with our powerhouse roundtable. We are all drinking from the fire hose. Nancy Ankrum <laughs> is the editor of the editorial page of the Miami Herald. Rafael Yaniz is an attorney and a political analyst. He serves on the board of the National Foreign Affairs and National Security Political Action Committee. Great to have you Good in. Morning. Good morning. Hello. Good afternoon. Now. Good afternoon. Great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So uh, let's kind of begin local. All politics is local. All coronavirus, in a sense, is local. This week, we had the Broward County Health Department yesterday have a news conference that, in my opinion, was notoriously short on news. They said, yes, we have two cases, as Glenn had said earlier, a man 65, a man 75, but we don't know where they have been. We don't know with whom they associate. Well, we know one man worked for a company that provides guides and services uh -huh. at uh, Port Everglades, but we just are waiting to know so much more, and HIPAA seems to be, you know, a reason why they say they can't tell us. HIPAA does say that, and I hope that you read our editorial tomorrow because uh, this morning, because this is exactly the topic. And we were just very concerned, not just about the lack of information coming from, um, I guess, Dr. Taki mm -hmm. uh, yesterday, but the inconsistency among the counties as to the information that we are getting or not getting. Right. So that Lee County does not tell us the age or the gender of the person who died, whereas, uh, was it Manatee County, Santa Rosa County? Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa. yeah. Does. And so, so obviously the health department itself needs to coach its people, needs to issue its own guidelines and tell their people in the counties Yes, you can say this. No, you cannot. We right. need guidelines there. At the same time, the CDC needs to, I think it has recently loosened up its guidelines as far as testing is mm -hmm. concerned. But uh, we, we need like a Marshall Plan here yeah. so that people don't panic. It's the lack of information. And do we need a general marshal to be in charge? I mean, there is no kind of centralized information I mean, Senator well, Scott told you, well, let's be as transparent as possible. Well, I, I'm finding that Governor DeSantis's office is actually being what I think is quite transparent right. so far. Uh, I'm, I feel like as a reporter, that is where the information is disseminating. Mm -hmm. um, They're centralizing it in Tallahassee. Could and not be, and, and they've been very forthcoming correct. with certain facts and figures. My question is, Raphael, why not a more detailed pattern that does not compromise the personal medical information of these people? So in, in HIPAA's world, you're talking about de-identified information or a limited set of information. 
but the problem is that HIPAA applies to what are called covered entities. So that's healthcare provider organizations, for example. Hospitals, the, doctors. Hospitals, <laughs> doctors, your specialists. The problem is the CDC and the Florida Department of Health are not engaged in the direct provision of your healthcare. Now, there are exceptions in HIPAA for public health activities and oversight for a covered entity to provide that information to the government. Now, I want to take it one step back to Michael's question. Uh, I think it's not too early to say, and I don't want to panic anyone, but I think it's important to talk about the need to start uh, looking at the root cause analysis of why we are where we are today. So the healthcare industry uses root cause analysis, RCA, from Lean Six Sigma to figure out what really caused this whole mess mm -hmm. we're in. We have a lack of testing kits. The federal yeah, government, go. Donald, Donald Trump and the administration stood out and said, if it weren't for decisive bold action blocking the travel yeah. to and from China, yeah. that, that this would be much worse. Well, guess what? We don't know how bad it actually is today because we don't have academic research centers across the country right. with parallel development of testing kits due to the FDA yeah. and CDC not being yeah. in sync. Excellent, right. excellent point, Rafael. If we can, I want to put up a, a soundbite so people at home can remember what the president said mm -hmm. Thursday when he visited the CDC about the availability of testing. Here's what the president said. Well, I think the 3.4% is really a false number. Now, this is just my hunch. and uh, But based on a lot of conversations with a lot of people that do this, so I think that that number is very high. I think the number, personally, I would say the number is way under 1%. Well, uh, frankly, that's not exactly the soundbite I was thinking of. I was thinking of the one where he said anybody who wants a test for coronavirus can get a Let's test. Let's talk about but, that. But that is simply not true. It's, it's categorically false. Unfortunately, it is categorically false because there are strict guidelines being imposed on who can get a test and when. There are three designated testing centers in the state of Florida, Jacksonville, Tampa, and Miami. Right. That took Herculean efforts from public health officials uh, and clinicians, threatening officials to go public with their lack of responsiveness. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really, I can't name names, but there they were, I, I have sources of people who were saying that they were going to go public with the foot dragging. And so mm -hmm. the problem is we're not trying to freak out anyone watching at home. The chances that you're gonna be infected, not very high, but the problem is that 3.4% that the president was saying in that soundbite, uh, we, we only know about that 3.4% because they were tested. We don't right. know the people who may be carriers and are asymptomatic, meaning they don't display any symptoms. And those three labs are already backlogged. Correct. That's with a lack of, of testing kits mm -hmm. and with suspected cases. And They're yet, already backlogged. You heard Dr. Castro and Dr. Marty uh, just a few minutes ago saying not everyone should be tested. If you're sick, don't go running to get tested. Correct. And, and so what that, that's kind of a mixed message to me because if, if I get sick, Today, my first inclination is going to be, oh, please test me, I want to know. But yet, the scientists said, no, that is, that is not necessary. They're prioritizing resources. Yeah. So right now, there's limited amount of resources, and they're prioritizing. Mm -hmm. If you don't meet the criteria based on age, uh, your immune system response, right. uh, or lack thereof, mm -hmm. they're not going to give a valuable slot in the testing queue. And that's why I say, let's get to the root cause. And I, I wonder if Senator Bob Graham was enjoying retirement, if he's available to do a 9-11 style bipartisan mm -hmm. commission to get yeah. to the to get to the reason because this won't be the last major influenza or pandemic style I infection in our lifetimes we need to be prepared and understand why did the CDC and the FDA not provide the emergency use authorizations in a more timely manner the Germans are ahead of us the Chinese which is the outbreak source are ahead of us and we meanwhile do not have academic research sites across the country 
who, were a, who would have been able to get a four to six week head start on developing yeah. these sensitive tests. And if I may, one last comment. Uh, the chemical agents that are used in, in, our, in our medicines, the precursor chemicals, we have allowed Big Pharma for cost-cutting reasons to centralize that production, the pre-production and the precursor collection in China. And when Donald Trump was doing the tariffs, I don't want to, to misdirect the conversation, but when the tariffs conversation was going on, the Chinese held a nuclear button that they could press, which is your infectious we're disease medicines, we're going to cut off that supply. Mm -hmm. wow. It's fascinating. Right. Let's talk a little bit about Super Tuesday because, goodness, you know, it's hard to imagine that only eight days ago they voted in South Carolina, where my friend and colleague Lena did some great reporting and gave Joe Biden a huge victory. And Glenn then, gave him the victory. And then <laughs> no, it just snowballed. Yep. And now he is the putative favorite to be the nominee. And it looks pretty good for him in Florida. It looks March very 17th. good for him in Florida. And, uh, you know, people love a winner. And people also are concerned about mm, November. Who can really take him out? Right. And so people are coming to their senses. Uh, moving to the center, those are, and, and, and let's be clear, South Carolina is not Iowa. And, and not, no, no disrespect to Iowa, of course. Yeah, yeah. it's but, not New Hampshire either. Right, and, right. Uh, no. But how shrewd well, is Joe Biden to really elbow people out of the race, or yeah. his people, and get their support. Right. Let's Taking talk. lessons from Julie from Philly. Right? <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's, let's talk some truth about the demographics of the Democratic primary in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Joe Biden had a lock on the African-American voter community, mm -hmm. particularly African-American women, right. the backbone of, of the African-American uh, primary demographic. And despite his opponents, who were African-American themselves, with Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, mm -hmm. despite $500 million from Mike Bloomberg, Despite having all the odds against them, uh, Senator Sanders, Senator Warren, you had Joe Biden come out victorious, and that was his firewall. Similar, Rudy Giuliani called Florida his firewall, and it was a Florida or nothing bust in 2008. Here, we, we saw that Joe Biden's calculation paid off dividends despite a rocky road to get to South Carolina. And let's be clear, you know, um, Bernie's people are now saying that well, you know, South Carolina's African-American voters were low-information voters. Oh. No. That's very insulting. That's very insulting. insulting. It's very insulting, and they knew just what they were voting for. You know because what it does? Because they had Barack Obama's watching. back. Sorry. Yeah. No, well, right. that, part, that's part, part of, of it. That part is right. they knew he was with Obama for eight years. I came on the show, and I complained about decisions of the Obama administration mm -hmm. and their positions. But Joe Biden and Barack Obama were, were to, there was no question, there was no daylight between them. Mm -hmm. There is, there, I found no African American young voter under, I'm going to guess, 30 uh, that voted for Joe Biden. These are I, Bernie yes. voters. Right, These are exactly. Bernie they're Bernie voters. voters. Yeah. They're Bernie voters, yeah. and there is that divide. Well, yeah. well, Let me ask you a question. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just want to pose this question that I, I posted on Facebook and got some interesting answers. Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar are really perfect candidates in their lanes if you're a Democratic voter. Why did they not resonate like Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden? Why? Oh, let me count the ways. That was some <laughs> sign, Nancy let me, yeah, let me count the ways. Um, I, I'm sorry. The woman thing is still do you an think? issue. Oh, I mm -hmm. do. I think it's still an issue for many voters who are more than willing to put women in Congress, in the House, and in the Senate. Do you, can uh, I ask you a question? And in the governor's offices also. Sure. Um, I do think that uh, uh, 
uh, Warren especially did that flip-flop on Medicare for all. Mm -hmm. Then that she was going to phase damage. it in over three years. May, yeah. may I throw a question? Nancy, uh, Hillary Clinton was a Democratic nominee mm -hmm. four years ago. Mm -hmm. Do you think because a woman lost to Donald Trump that that is affecting the Democratic primary electorate's uh, perception of female candidates in this race? It's very or possible. Yes, it? absolutely. Can I, can I, I just uh, disagree please. with you there? Mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton was a very particular kind of candidate. Correct. Yes. Aside. Um, yeah. There are people who did not like Hillary Clinton yeah. having nothing For to do with For reasons not to do with that yeah. campaign yes. as well. Exactly. All right. Let, if yeah. we can, I, I must mention a fascinating moment. The Miami Herald this week broke the story that Alan Gross, the former USAID contractor, arrested, jailed in Cuba for a couple of years. In 2014, he says he told NPR he met with three U.S. senators, one of them Bernie Sanders. And here's this poor man had lost a hundred pounds, teeth had fallen out, he was suffering in prison, and Bernie Sanders reportedly said to him, towards the end of this interview about Cuba, I don't see what's so wrong about this country. There's the quote from Alan Gross said, Bernie Sanders said this. I mean, this is so grossly insensitive and offensive. You don't have to be a Cuban-American, you know, to be angry about this, yeah. but this just strikes me as one more reason why in South Florida, anyway, right. Bernie Sanders is not toast, but he's, but he's not going to do well. And tone deaf can you be to say that to him, to yeah. to Gross specifically, yeah. looking exactly as you as 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 as, as beaten down and physically right. decimated? Right. That's a, that, that, that's just tone deaf. And knowing that he too. couldn't leave the room with you back to the United States, right. where you enjoy freedom, so exactly. it's it's politically tone deaf, but also humanistically offensive. Yeah. And I believe that Bernie Sanders is the most dis dishonest, intellectually dishonest candidate the Democrats have fielded this campaign cycle. Boy, but does he have people excited? His because lies, lies, passionate. lies can attract lots of people, and fantasies can as well. That's why Disney oh, World has a great following every year. We love you because you don't hold back. <laughs> Rafael, you need Nancy Ankrum. Great to have you here. Thanks for this coming. This was fun. Always. Thank you. We're all Always. about fun. We are now officially in South Florida in the time of coronavirus, and we see one of the symptoms we're dealing with is mixed messaging. Not intentional mixed messaging, but an issue for sure. This week, the city of Miami pulled the plug on Ultra Music Fest at Bayfront Park, citing public health concerns, and then they did the very same thing to the Calle Ocho Street Festival. On face value, that seems like a prudent move, err on the side of public safety, but we here learn never to take anything at face value. They said they are relying on CDC recommendations in the decision to cancel those major events, but you know who also followed CDC guidelines? The people right there at the fair in Southwest Miami-Dade, and that opens in just a few days. And in Coral Gables, where Carnival is taking place today, and in Miami Gardens, where Jazz in the Garden is coming up, and in Fort Lauderdale for the Tortuga Music Festival next month, the American Airlines Arena for Heat Games, and on Miami Beach, where Miami Beach Mayor Dan Gelber wrote in an email, emergency management authorities at the county, state, and federal levels have not advised us to cancel events, nor directed us to. Disney, it's open. Theaters are open. Schools are open, etc. The actions there are all about ramping up hygiene, hand washing, sanitizing stations, disinfecting facilities. 
So where does that leave us in the middle of these mixed messages and various courses of actions? What is the real risk, especially now that South Florida has two cases, two that we know of? Besides gender, age, and county health officials give us little detail about those cases. So, for instance, everyone who's been in Broward this week is left to wonder if they've been where coronavirus, COVID-19, has been. Without violating a patient's privacy, they sure could release a timeline and path of travel, work environment, neighborhood, etc. One of the best preventative tools is, of course, common sense. Coronavirus and the flu, too, needs our attention, but not fear. And we all need much more information about cases in our midst.